Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday night. I am Stephen Platinum, of course, and joining me is the venerable and lauded. There's our there's our big SAT word of the day, <laughs> lauded, Larry Goodman. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Larry? Hey, what do you know? I actually faded the intro properly for once. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. <laughs> well, how are you doing? <laughs> that is excellent. That means you are qualified to run <laughs> raw because you have done something correctly, something that they are failing to do. Um, I know numbers haven't come out yet. Uh, Larry, if, if the last two raws drew a 1.8, let me say that again, a, something in the 1.8s. What is this draw, this raw, with the biggest drawing debate ever? Got Super Bowl-like numbers and a Monday well, Night Football game. What are they going to do? Actually, I cheated because I did catch some numbers. Oh, you did? Ooh, ooh, ooh please yeah, tell. Apparently, just, just out before we came on, uh, actually not as bad as you would think. Oh. One a one point seven five, which you would have thought they would have got decimated even worse than that. Mm. Uh, and you know, I'm, allow me to uh, cast gloom and doom on the not gloom and doom. Uh, to me, that's even scarier <laughs> because that means the people that have been watching the last three weeks are the people that they can't shake. So, like, <laughs> obviously, they're the people who will watch Raw over anything. But then that's all they're getting is the people that will watch raw over anything, but like any hint of a casual fan, I guess just doesn't exist or at least not in the recent past. That's really interesting. Um, did you see that raw by the way? Did you happen to catch raw? I, I, I saw in and out. Uh, it was one of those nights where I'm kind of watching and kind of not. So I saw some right. pieces of it and other, others I didn't. But just to uh, break it down real quick, the first hour did yeah. uh, 2.85 million, which is the most they've had since Labor Day. And then it had the usual drop-off, of course, those hours two and three going up against the debate as well. Uh, 2.38 million viewers for the second hour, 2.2 for the third hour. Um, and, of course, overall down, um, uh, what, 10, 11% from the previous week. But, again, 11% against going up that, that gigantic debate number really not that bad yeah yeah it's it's interesting too because the beginning of the show started off with two matches that were at the pay-per-view i it's really interesting how they're doing things maybe it'll shake out in the long term but man scary scary stuff we're in the ones i remember when um, the monday night war began 
and they were averaging like a 2-2. And then, you know, obviously the numbers got up to astronomical numbers. And then when it was coming back down, I mean, during the Russo era, when they hit, like, they went below 2-6, and they were going like 2-5, 2-4, 2-3. And that was deemed like the end of the world, that that WCW was hitting a 2-3. Man, it's crazy how times have changed. The lowest number since 1996, the uh, source I'm looking at here tracks a – 1.8 1.8 that took place in October of 1996. So, mm. yeah. Um, Tough times. You know, w- w- one thing about I wanted to ask you about on the Raw show before yep. we move on to more local things. And by the way, uh, for our listeners, our guest tonight will be Shane Knowles, uh, now yes. known for some reason, which we'll delve into as Big Daddy Shane Knowles, <laughs> the Peach State Alliance. I'm a fan of the Big Daddy name. Big fan. He'll be joining us uh, here around the quarter hour. But can you can what is can you explain to me why they keep beating Enzo? What would be the point of putting Enzo and Cass in and having them getting beat get beat in the main event and then Enzo getting pinned for I don't know how many times they pinned Enzo on Raw. It is. I'm not going to try to chalk it up to logic. I'm going to chalk it up to WWE logic, which I believe goes something like this. He's so over that, that he's bulletproof. That's been sort of their thinking on booking for a long time. And I, you know, invariably, I think the plan is he's going to go on this big win streak and it'll be so great. Um, I describe modern booking I'm going to use that term loosely as hit you in the head with a hammer. So you'll be so glad when it stops. That's sort of how they book everything, right? Hit you in the head, hit you in the head, hit you in the head. And then like, we stopped. And then you're like, Oh, that's what passes as, as a pop is relief. It's sort of how TNA used to book years ago when Jeff Jarrett was constantly the champion. And I think the theory was, well, eventually we'll stop that, and then they'll be happy. And, yeah, Enzo, who's who's almost the only guy who gets a legitimate pop, I'm not yeah. talking like a sort of a Pavlovian, all right, we're supposed to be happy, so we cheer, which I feel like Sasha Banks has already gotten to, where now it's just like, all right, yeah, it's Sasha Banks, but they've already cut the legs out from that. And with Enzo, it's like, oh, he's kind of bulletproof. So let's let's pin him. It is. I, I don't know. I, I you know I always my mantra is always it's like they don't know how to make money anymore. I gotta say I don't even think you, who's the okay. I'm gonna ask you a question, Larry. Who's the best performer on Raw right now? In your opinion, performer. Yeah, just a, just overall like. Who's the like? Who's the MVP? I guess I I know those are two different questions, but like, well, I'll I just mean, I, say, yeah. I mean, I guess I'd say I guess I'd say Owens at this point. You know who I would say Jericho. I I I'm stunned at his level of work and the work he's putting in to make Owens relevant. True. Um, True. True. I I, I think. You know, being the sort of frick to his frack, I think being um, – he's managed to to give Owens a layer without Owens 
contributing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like <laughs> I'm his friend. Uh, his thing where he said like weird, and this is weird because I've always been a guy who didn't fall all over Jericho. Like most people have loved that dude forever. Um, really, I only kind of came around during his last heel run. But I got the stuff he's doing now. I'm talking about in ring and all the rest of it is fantastic. Um, and, and I mean, it couldn't have come at a better time because no, I mean, uh, the, the booking is so inexplicable when it comes to poor Owens, right? It's like Triple H is going to basically hand you a title <laughs> and then we're not going to really explain why it happened. And now go out and get heel heat, even though the, the limited amount of people that still watch kind of love Kevin Owens. And well, Jericho at least is managing to make it um, entertaining, I guess, where it's like I, I, I don't look at his run as, oh, this is just a stopgap until they figure out what they're doing. It actually feels like they're kind of making something out of nothing. Um, and Jericho, I, I mean, I've never been more impressed with him overall at the ability to make, I mean, just his look and wrestling in the leather pants. And like, I, yeah. I, just, I just think all of it is so interesting and entertaining. Uh, I'm certainly glad he's around. My God. You know, Well, I was going to say, thank, thank, thank God that he's around now, given their uh, problems with star power and lack of depth with this brand. Mm. Split. I don't know where they'd be without the, the, the role he's playing right now. He's yeah. I mean, in that sense, I mean, he's filling a huge need that they have to be able to carry segments the way he the way he has been week after week. Uh, uh, know, the, yeah, go ahead. Switching gears to the local scene. Well, yeah. it's still tied in. I mean, you know, uh, like Smack is clearly the superior show, um, but I'm curious. It's weird. Like someone was like, "Oh, SmackDown is sure to overtake them in the ratings." But it's weird. It's it's kind of like you're, but they're not beating Raw at its best. So it's sort of a weird feeling. Like so, if SmackDown gets a one eight or a one nine. I guess they won. But I, I'm curious, like who watches SmackDown compared to Raw? I wish there was a way to know the answer to that question. Is it yeah. the same people watching both? And if it's the same people watching both, why would more people watch SmackDown? I mean, I know it's a superior show, but who's that 200,000? Who are those 200,000 people that are watching SmackDown that don't watch Raw? Um, what's their story? Are they casual fans? Are they wrestling fans that find it just a better product? I would be curious to see who are the people that watch one and not the other. Do you have any theories on who who is this person who watches SmackDown who doesn't watch Raw? I, I really don't because I would assume it's the same hardcore fans. But as you say, why are more hardcore fans watching Tuesday night than Monday night? Because as we've already identified, casual fans are, are hard to come by. I, I, I don't have a clue. I wouldn't even be able to hazard mm. a guess as to why that would be. Interesting. Maybe it's football fans who – who like wrestling and there's no competition on a Tuesday night. Uh, yeah, of competition. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm excited like this Sunday, I'm going to be at bound for glory. Um, TNA's Ooh. thing and word on the curb is it might, this, this run of tapings starting with bound for glory, which is live on Sunday night. And then they tape a bunch of shows on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that, uh, that this might be it for TNA. What? That this, so, that, so 
Corgan will not be able to pull together the financing to keep it going. Is that, he is appar- that apparently he hasn't he hasn't fielded a strong enough offer. Word on the curb is that right now the best offer that they have is WWE's, which is being described as sort of a last ditch, uh, like kind of like if we'll take it if there's nothing else. So clearly they sort of made them a low ball offer to get the library. I mean that's the most logical assumption, right? Um, yeah. what, do you know what TNA is valuing itself as, Larry? Uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Please enlighten me. Oh, my God. I, I guarantee you whatever number you have in your head is way low, lower than what they think they're worth. They apparently assess their own value at $40 million. Oh, wow. What? I don't know what you're paying for for $40 million. The, uh, the, but, the tape library, what are you getting? Really? I don't know. That's I, I just access the contracts and yeah. Yeah, it's strange because, I mean, WCW, uh, nobody knows for sure what they sold for, but it wasn't much, right? I mean, it was $3 million, oh, $4 million. It was pitiful. Yeah, it was pitiful. And, that's a t- and, that, and that tape library, I mean, that's – that's a that's a core of their programming right now, right? Is nitros, the pay per views, all the historical stuff for Flair, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I see the value in owning WCW's tape library. Um, I'm not so sure TNA's worth that for so you can have background footage of Austin Aries. Like, I'm not quite sure what's forty million. So if that's what they think their value is, it doesn't shock me that Corgan wouldn't be able to come up or I don't think it's not a matter of not coming up. I think it's TNA's value because they have so many owners, right? Like Dixie Carter's got a share. Billy Corgan's got a share. The Harris brothers have a share with that company. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Could you imagine? Cause you're a numbers guy, Larry. Could you imagine delving in to that mess of ownership? I remember when ECW folded and the bankruptcy hearings were so fascinating. Most wrestling fans could give a damn, but that's because they're stupid. The the ECW bankruptcy stuff tells you more about how they operated and the kind of shenanigans they pulled than anything. <laughs> um, where at one point, the the associated video game company actually had a pretty strong claim that we own ECW because they had not met up their financial obligations um, to such a degree that they owed the video game company uh, through loans and such more than ECW was arguably worth. Mm -hmm. So at one point, that was one of the reasons when uh, the WWF famously spouted out ECW and kind of started using their name all over the place that they had to kind of pay for the nose. They basically had to pay for all of Paul Heyman's debts or certainly enough that all these other people dropped claims. It's one of the genius Paul Heyman things where he he said ECW so much that then the WWF had to use them. And then they said, oh, if you want to use them, you got to give us some money. So Heyman ended up squirming out of a lot of his debt. Uh, basically playing the WWF against their debtors. Um, thought that was that's one of those great stories that wrestling fans don't know. That I always think, you know, Paul Heyman, <laughs> that guy, he's a pretty smart guy. But uh, speaking of smart guys, um, so you went to Ring of Honor 
Um, what was that like, Larry? Um, cause you've been to, um, uh, ring of honor shows in that location before they didn't have quite the star power, but you got to see more local guys really doing their thing. Yeah. I mean, I would say I, you know, I enjoyed this show as much or more as the other ones, even though you could certainly argue, well, what you couldn't argue about the star power, the others had more star power and were more spectacular, but for top mm. to bottom quality of the wrestling, I mean, this was just, it, it was stunningly good. Uh, I mean, it, it strikes me every time I see a Ring of Honor sh- show how technically great these guys are. And, again, right. I, I'm struck by that. Again, these, these are as good as anybody in the world. When it just comes to technical proficiency, it was just really incredible. The, the real surprise match to me, although, I mean, it shouldn't have been, was uh, Gresham and Leo Rush. Oh, I my God. They had thought they had an excellent match Gresham and Rush did um and um you know it was it was a treat seeing uh Jay Lethal and and Cole Cabana go 45 minutes in the main event uh yeah pace themselves and work that match in the way they did to do just enough spectacular stuff not too much crazy stuff that it wouldn't make any sense um I I just thought top to bottom it was a really really excellent show but um yeah not as not as big a crowd and not as rabid a crowd as the three, I'm thinking it's three previous. Well, they did one. They did one previous show in that location, and then they were at that other place uh, over in that trade center. They're not as spectacular as those shows. Hmm. Um, like you said, you said you you approximated 750, um, 750 for this yeah, show. The, the setup was small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't set. They didn't have as many. It was full, but they didn't have as many chairs set up. As at the, at the last time around, so I had it at 750, counting basically just looking at the chair setup, and that they were basically all full. And they and they scheduled another show, correct? Um, the center stage, back. yeah, yeah. They'll be at the center stage in January, and I do not want to miss that. What a great place to see a show! So that that should center be stage is excellent. I'm I'm curious because. Clearly, the reason they normally don't run center stage is expense. Uh, center stage is not cheap. I remember um, at one point, like looking, you know, I, I looked at every venue possible. And uh, so I kind of know what everything costs. And center stage is not cheap. Now, when they had run in center stage before, it was WrestleMania week. And those were mind-blowingly great shows. Just, yeah. you know, people put out for those WrestleMania week shows. And like you said, center stage is a fantastic place to see wrestling. Um, rivaled only, I got to say this, uh, I mean, we'll talk more about PCW and Sacred Ground later on, but... Man, 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 do we have a home for sacred ground. Is it hyperbole to say, Larry, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is that the coolest place to see wrestling in the state of Georgia right now? Is that outdoor, is the Porterdale Arena? Well, certainly the coolest place that any um, indie promotion is going to run in the state of Georgia these days. Yes, yes, I yeah. love that space. Yeah, and, and to, to, to run out, outdoors there at night, yeah, that's pretty unbeatable. Fantastic. Definitely. Is is our guest on the line by chance, Larry? We do have joining us now, and we will return to a lot of this. George. We have more Georgia stuff to talk about, but on the line now is we're joined by now known as Big Daddy Shane Big Nold. Daddy. Big Daddy Shane Knowles, are you there? Oh, Shane Knowles is here. The Big Daddy moniker I'm going to leave until this Saturday, October 1st. So. <laughs> 
Shane, thank you for being on. Um, Shane, I'm just going to fire a question at you right off the jump. Uh, Peach State, it's got a lot going on. I want to know, I, like, because you've come on the show more than once, and it's been sort, it's been awesome to sort of mark your progress as as a wrestler. Um, how do you feel like you're doing now compared to when you started this journey? Um, I feel like I'm picking up little intricacies of things as a worker that you can only learn performing in front of a live crowd. Uh, there's only so much you can do in an empty ring before improvisational skills take over. You know, uh, when you get in the ring and you're working uh, with an opponent, I think just about anyone I'm working with is more seasoned and has more ring time than I. But uh, developing good chemistry, hopefully, with guys. And I'm hoping, you know, with this feud with Mike Posey coming up, this gives an opportunity to build a good chemistry with someone because it's kind of been in and out, you know, jump-starting with opponents, which is fine. The more the merrier, learn as many different styles as you can. But I think I'm just getting better on the little intricacies, uh, improv, uh, things like that. How did you uh, – I'm not going to let you off with the hook on the Big Daddy thing, Shane. How did how did you react to getting booked into a rap contest? Well, uh, total shoot uh, on the poster. P-Dog Mike Posey issues a open, epic rap battle open mic challenge. And I wasn't on the show, and so I went to the booker, Rick Michaels, and I said, you know, let me pitch this to you. I said, because have you got anybody for the spot yet? He said, nope. And uh, Rick and I were riding in the car, straight shoot to Taco Bell, one of his favorite places. And songs that came on the radio, I would just start changing lyrics as a goof, you know, trying to channel my inner Weird Al Yankovic. And Rick said, that's it. I want you to do the rap battle. And I said, whoa, pump the brakes. I said, it's one thing to change lyrics to song and be a goofball in your own vehicle as opposed to this. And he was like, it's perfect. He said, because nobody ever, uh, nobody ever assumes that you're integrated with the hip-hop rap culture. So it would be even better. And I said, well, you just got me because you reached into my inner love for schlock and hokiness. So I said, let's roll with it. That's great. Right, and i, I got to say this. I wore a pair of uh, white and black striped pants. And not one person in the locker room, save for one of the referees, understood why. Uh, they said, what are you doing? You just got out of prison or you're trying to be Beetlejuice? And one of the officials said, no, he's wearing those pants to bring up Posey's past as a referee. And I was like, thank Christ. I thought a locker room of people in the business would get this, and I'm getting Beetlejuice and convicts. <laughs> Pearls before swine, Shane. Pearls before swine. <laughs> um, Shane, like, uh, even just hearing about this, it's funny. Um, I'm going to throw you kind of a curveball question. Why does wrestling so often fail? They attempt but so often fail to be funny. What's the secret to being funny? I think that's, it's one of those things that I think a lot of wrestlers shy away from because comedy is very risky, right? Like you, you're risking your, you know, I don't want to look like a punk. I don't want to look weak and all this other stuff, but it's such an integral part of any kind of entertaining performance is at some point getting people to laugh it's one of the few genuine human reactions you can get. You kind of go around people's intellect and defend. I mean, you laugh at shit because it's funny, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's always intellectual. What's the key to you to be making something funny? 
Well, you have a theater background, Steve, uh, as do I somewhat, and I think it's being able to create your own ideas. It goes into wrestling promos when you're handing a script that's not organic of your own. You're forced to play off, you know, what the Mm. booker or the manager director has for you. Now, for this rap battle, I came up with the Big Daddy persona. I came up with the whole (laughs) rap, you know, rap-looking star slash pimp you know, outfit, as well as any and all lines I was going to shoot on Posey because that's coming from me. It's not something somebody said, oh, I think this will be good. And I said, well, it'll either fail or flop based on me and me directly. And I think that was the thing because, like, knowing your audience and certainly trying to know uh, the core group of people at Peach State, what I thought they would find funny. And, you know, it was things like little rhymes in there about, you know, you used to be, you're a great wrestler, Posey, even Stevie Wonder can see, but bruh, I got to be honest, I liked you better when you were a referee. Uh, <laughs> now these days, you, now these days you get your paychecks from rhymes you make as a composer, but I got to be honest, Posey, you're not a rapper, you're just a poser. And they ate the shit up. Yeah. I was like, I just thought they would know that would be funny, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it definitely helps to know your audience. Shay, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you yet another question. Um, I, so, you know, we're coming up on the end of the year, and invariably the discussion turns to sort of like who's who are the leader, leading contenders for different awards, blah, blah, blah. Uh, obviously, you know, Peach State, uh, there's so many things that, wrestlers, bookers, promoters, the things that Peach Theater is going to get nominated for. Um, I was thinking about how the, the three guys for Booker this year um, are, and this is just my opinion, of course, which means it's probably correct. Um, so one of, the, one of them is Dan and why we wrestle. I think he's got like the hardest road to hoe. I think he has managed to hold a locker room together and create great stories in spite of not really having like great support from the promoter. And like, I just feel like he's the one who's fighting, he's battling the most uphill uh, and manages to still tell great stories. Uh, The other one I would say is Hankins who does the most with the least as far as like guys that other guys don't hold in high regard. He manages to book and effectively tell stories. Now, the third is obviously Rick Michaels, who won it last year. If you could uh, pretend you're his campaign manager, make a bid for Rick to repeat as Booker of the Year. Well, I certainly In light of, I mean, better job yes. than both candidates at the debate last night. Lord. <laughs> 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 I, mean, I don't know if you guys brought up any political 15 minutes into the program before I came on, so I figured I'd pop that chair. Um, well, um, well, for I mean, here's the thing. I do want to put over Hankins because I read every PCW report Larry puts up, as well as Alicia Stockton, and I, I you stole the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I think Hankins is doing more with less with that roster because, uh, especially, I've got to tell you this, Steve, reading the finale of Sacred Ground, that whole passing of the torch moment with you and Hankins. Straight shoot, it gave me chills because I think you guys know me enough to know that realism, that moment, that symbolic moment, man, I just eat that stuff up. And I was like, damn it, I wanted to be there for a ticket to see that. But um, now for Dan, I'm not as familiar with why we wrestle, but certainly respect Dan Wilson. And I agree with you as far as with promotion and management. Dan is in an uphill climb. 
because he knows what he's doing. It's just going to take some time to shake it out, and I hope he certainly gets the time to do so, the right time yeah. to do so. Um, now, for Rick Michaels, if I'm his campaign manager and he's going to give me a 10% of this, he's listening. Um, nice. I think Rick Michaels does a tremendous job of maximizing guys' strengths and hiding their weaknesses. Uh, and that certainly goes for myself in the locker room as well as an in-ring performer. But also knowing chemistry, drop your ego at the door. If you've got a problem with someone else at another show, if you had a problem with them five years ago, that shit's not going to fly here at Peach State or you're not going to find yourself booked. Everyone knows that they're all there for the better good of the company. And I think also, and he and I talk about this, trying to stay one step ahead of the audience because whether our Peach State audience is considered smart or smart marks, there are certainly enough of them out there with social media, with access to Lucha Underground, ROH, any various number of wrestling promotions. It's hard to stay a step ahead and damn near shock anyone, and knowing when to pick your moments is something Rick is, you know, really, really uh, adept at. You know, and also he and I, and I'll throw myself in on this, trying to make sure we don't repeat history. Like if we did something yeah. six months ago or nine months ago, don't do it again, though it looks like the same recycled garbage. But also trying to keep um, the ro- – and he does a ma- magnificent job at this. The roster at Peach State right now I feel is the deepest it's ever been. I was making the joke, and this is certainly a joke, that we may have to do a roster split <laughs> a la Raw and SmackDown to get guys equal opportunities because you know, people are wanting to work. And I certainly sympathize with that. Some guys may be here one show and they're off the next. And you look across the roster, it's all the way through main events. I mean, uh, AJ Steele, Jimmy Ray, Tyson Dean, guys are missing shows here and there, jumping in and out. But certainly because they're in demand at other places. But certainly keeping all storylines going. And I think the thing that makes Rick a good booker, a great booker, is that it's not just the main event program and then a bunch of guys thrown in matches together. They're trying I hear to you. There's a, Absolutely. there's a story and a program all the way from matches two, three, four, five, six on the on the show. I, I agree with all that. And I would say I was um when I was there for Sacred Ground, one night I spent at Jeff G. Bailey's place and then the next night I uh, hung out with Simon Sermon. So we were having breakfast and Simon described and, and only some people are gonna get how insane this is so simon goes steve let me set this for you he goes i'm painting slim jay's face he's like rick michaels is in this locker room bill barons is in this locker room can you is that like doesn't that blow your mind and i like that blows my mind and even though that's not people don't consider that a part of booking it is. It's the guys you bring in, which is, you know, part of what you were saying about Rick Michaels. The fact that Peach State's locker room is so deep is a testament to the promoter, certainly, but also to the booker. That's the booker's job. And even in this day and age, I would contend that that is a big part of the booker's job is who can you pick up the phone and get in there? Some guys, now obviously Peach State pays and that helps, but I would not call Peach State a mercenary locker room like I would other ones. Clearly, they're a tight locker room, uh, and Rick has reached a point where 
he can get the guys in. He goes to other shows. You go to other shows. You see who's good. You bring in the right guys. And, I mean, again, it's why I think there are three bookers, and then I think there's a bunch of matchmakers, and then there's guys who aren't either one of those. (laughs) So definitely a great case for Rick Michaels. Well, I've got to touch on that, what you said. Uh, the only people privy to that were Slim J, Bill Barron's, Tommy Too Much, Rick Michaels, and myself. So when Slim J shows up as the unannounced partner, now the gladiator, uh, you can see the collective buttholes drawing up in that line. <laughs> because people thinking, oh, dear God. And it was like, you know, not to kayfabe the locker room, but rather than tell them Slim J was coming and everybody be prepared for some kind of physical altercation or be on eggshells, just let it happen organically where he walks right in the locker room with Bill and we start setting up, you know, what your match is, what time you have. And it's like, oh, this is all just part of the process. Let's just go with the flow. Hey, uh, question, since we're talking about booking, uh, this is something I was going to ask Steve, and I'm glad you're here, Shane, to participate in this. I have a curiosity about booking uh, as a solo booker versus as a committee or uh, partnership, I was thinking about this after listening to Dutch Mantel talk about booking Puerto Rico, and he said that he attributed a lot of his success there to the fact that it was just him. He'd go out on the beach with a bottle of rum and book his show, and he said he got a lot of his got good ideas from the bottle of rum, but, but he didn't have to go through any filters or anything else to book his show. Your guys' thoughts on booking on that, booking as a solo versus as a team or a committee or something of that nature? I guess I'll take it first. Uh, I think sometimes you can be guilty of too many chiefs and not enough Indians uh, when it comes to booking. Certainly at Peach State, uh, we have a very good locker room of people that have booked uh, and have ran other promotions, a la Jimmy Ray, Bill Barron's whatnot, and their input is valuable. Uh, and they know that. They know that they don't have to feel stepped on, that it's not, you know, we don't want to hear your ideas. But they also have the understanding that the final say goes through Rick and then myself. Not so much that there's an official chain of command, but, you know, they can pitch ideas, scenarios, and whatnot, and we'll run with it. Uh, but no one's trying to overtake booking aspects of the show because they know they all play a part and they're invested in their program, in their character. So certainly any and all ideas are welcome. But I think I go back to the too many chiefs and not enough Indians when looking at the WCW committee, when they tried to do so many people and, you know, you read horror stories of all that, like, Oh my God, so many headstrong, uh, strong egos in there. You just feel like nothing was ever going to get resolved. And I think, uh, I think like Rick is the booker. Certainly he gets input from ideas, um, people to bring in programs, uh, promos, whatnot from myself. He also gets it from Bill and Jimmy, uh, and other people. Sal Renaro is good at this as well. Tommy too much as well, AJ Steele, I could go on. But there's a lot of vets in that locker room, and they've seen over the course of time what's worked and what hasn't, and it all comes together uh, in a big bundle uh, for Rick to figure out on the toilet. I guess that's his bottle of rum. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I prefer, uh, clearly most of the time, I was the booker. Um, with that said, I thought one of my greatest strengths and something that people didn't really think of is how um, open I was to ideas. Um, I said it all the time, like it's, 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 it's a double-edged sword. So in one sense, the, every individual wrestler and performer is going to care more about their gimmick than I will um, because it's their thing. 
And so often they will have like really strong notions of how they should go. And I would use that and book accordingly. But the other edge of the sword is wrestlers have shit ideas. Overall, <laughs> the boys have shitty ideas that usually end with, and then I win the title. But if you can find that rare one that can kind of supplant their own ego, um, then you're in really good shape. If you get a guy who's just giving, and I think a lot of the guys that Shane Knowles described are that way. I think uh, guys like, you know, Jeter is that way, um, where guys are willing to give and kind of and understand that it's go team. Um, then you're in really, really good shape. Um, it's, it's sort of like managing the egos. Now, booking in a committee, which I've also done, um, can work, though invariably I think you find that uh, unless you want a shark tank situation like WCW booking where everybody's just going for theirs or worse, like how the WWE has it, where you've got 30 people trying to keep their job and making two people happy. Um, which kind of lends itself to like sort of base ideas, stuff that you think Vince likes instead of stuff that people will like. Um, that's a problem. But if you can get a group of people to sort of follow somebody's strong lead, it comes down to a vision. And I think five people can work towards a vision or one person can work towards a vision. And, um, it, but I don't, I don't trust any group dynamic where there isn't somebody who's a stronger voice than the others. I don't know if that's truly possible or has ever worked in wrestling or really in much of anything else. Well, you brought um, up I think something. It's... Uh, Go I was going to say, Go ahead, you brought up something that I, uh, we make the joke in the locker room that I'm Vince and uh, Rick is Pat Patterson being openly gay, but, the joke about that is don't come to me with ideas that you think is going to get me off or make me happy because it's the people. You, you make the joke, the promoter's the guy who pays the bills. The fans are the ones who pay your salary. So I'm certainly invested on what they're going to pop for and what they like. Be damned if it's something that really gets me excited because I'm there for the fans because I think like a fan. Rick thinks like a fan. We don't look things to like what can we sit back and laugh at or be like, oh, high five and look what we came up with. If those people aren't responding, be damned our own personal opinions. I am um, I, I here here's an example which which may be apropos of nothing. So the only thing I booked at Sacred Ground, besides the appearance of the Contras, which was sort of a last minute decision, um, was the finish of the Gunner Miller match. Um, and it came as a result of me reading a report about AWE. Uh, Larry, were you at the show where AR Fox wrestled Jimmy Rape that first time? Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, the end of that show was Jimmy won with the smallest package in the business, right? And then, um, and then did the speech, the cliched, I have respect for you. Anytime you want a title shot, you can have it. And then AR Fox kind of went out of the box and just went, cool, I want to wrestle you now. And they, they didn't know what to do. And so Jimmy just basically backed out of it. And uh, somebody else I know who was at the show sort of went, that was so crushingly disappointing, you know? Like, they, they, they didn't realize it, but they had gold, right? That's how the person described it to me. Something could have come out of that that was awesome. And then that planted the seed for me to go, yeah, what if – the champion went, you know, anytime you want a title shot, you can have it. 
the guy says, I want it now, and then wins. That's never happened, right? Nobody ever takes somebody up on that offer right away, and they should. And so that started the germ of that idea. And I got to say, nobody wanted to do that finish, man. Um, <laughs> nobody. And they had more than one person talk to me and just go, Steve, you know, you know, Jeter's just willing to just lose outright. Isn't that better? And I went, no, no, I'm right. Like that was a case where I just sort of, I, I, I played the, this is the last thing I'm going to book car. So let me have it and you'll see. And uh, as it turned out, I think I was right. I think it, it created this sort of shocking moment and this big moment. But then again, who's to say that that committee of guys, uh, meaning like Jeff, Jeter, Hankins, like the major players who are sort of for the other way to do it, which is, no, but let's just have them have a great match and then Jeter loses. So we can keep Gunnar Miller like undefeated or whatever. Um you know, that's a case of like sort of committee versus one guy and the one guy got his way and then the one guy was right. But, ju- but you know, just as soon, I'm sure there have been cases where like a group of people have wanted to do things one way. One asshole said, no, I'm right. And it turns out that the group would have been correct. Um, you know, when you left, uh, when you moved to Florida, Steve, you originally, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, the, the idea was that, Peach, that uh, PCW would be booked by a committee, although, I mean, I know over yes. the long haul it didn't end up that way. Um, what was your thought process of wanting to have it by committee at that, at that point in time? It, it, it was plain and simple. I wanted to, uh, originally the thought was PCW would do shows, three different kind of shows, and I wanted people to sort of be in charge of each one of those shows. So the thought was everybody would work together and then I would just see who had chemistry together and who would, who would separate themselves from the pack. I didn't tell them that, but that's what was my thinking was I knew if you put five people together doing a thing, one of them is just going to prove to be better at it. And that this is no knock on quasi or Chuck or Johnny or uh, Rachel, but Hankins clearly became the guy. He became the, I'm going to be the first one there, last one to leave. I'm going to be the one who establishes the relationship with the boys. I'm going to be the one that does the work. And, you know, and then it just shook out that way that eventually just it became Hankins. Um, But that was the committee originally. And so if you remember those shows that we did at Actors Express, those were the Quasi and Chuck shows. Mm-hmm. And then um, Rachel was kind of in charge of like special event shows. Like when we would do like a Halloween show in Porterdale, Rachel really took the lead on that one. And they all proved adept in different kind of ways, but ultimately Hankins became the guy. And, and part of that was life stuff, like Chuck got married and then just sort of lost a taste for it um, and all that kind of stuff. But it just came down to Hankins just showed he was the guy for that job. So we did flirt with the committee thing for a while, but it was really kind of a, a job interview, I guess, <laughs> or, or a reality show of like, who's going to be the last one on this freaking <laughs> island. And, um, and Hankins, and Hankins has proved to be that guy. And, and, you know, the, the design of 
cornerstone and me turning heel. Like I had always said that like I was never going to turn heel. I I just thought that that was stupid. And, uh, but then when it was put to me by a carpenter, he was the one who said, you know, I, I really think that if, if you and Hankins go at it, it could do a bunch of great things. And that got my mind working. And I went, you know, I can do this thing where I get Porterdale to hate me. And I mean, hate me. And then that way, when I step away, I'll step away quietly. Instead of making a big deal about it, I'll just kind of give them a moment. And then, and then it'll be a seamless transition. Because in the back, it was already that way. It was already Hank and show for damn near more than a year. Um, so this was just a way of signaling the crowd, of getting them used to the notion that a green jacket what didn't equal PCW. That PCW was about something more than me in a fucking green jacket. So that's why Hankins didn't know I was going to hand him the jacket, by the way. Um, oh, wow. We talked about... Yes, we talked about what's the finish, and then he was like, I think we need a pin. We need something to signal to the crowd that this is over. And I went, no, like, just trust me. They'll know when it's over, and I I don't want to try to force a reaction out of the crowd. I didn't care if they yelled at me. I didn't care if they threw things. I didn't care if they taunted or said I, I just didn't want nah 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 hey hey goodbye I fucking hate that but beyond that I just wanted to get a genuine reaction out of Hankins so all I told him was and then I'll go through the table and then it'll be so clear I'll do a thing and it'll be so clear that it's done and he said okay I trust you and so I handed him that jacket and I whispered something in his ear that's just for me and him gay um, and then uh <laughs> And then I just walked out. I, I didn't even hear how the crowd was reacting. I didn't hear anything, honestly, because I was too busy going like, that was insane. And then the security was on me right away, right next to me, because at least two people tried to physically hit me before in the show. <laughs> so they were so scared. They walked me all the way around the block. They were just like, someone's going to stab you. People like are really mad. I'm like, I don't think they are. I think me giving the green jacket and walking out, basically. And then I could hear Hankins cutting a promo. And I went, oh, what a great way to end the show. Cool. He thought of something. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know the uh, two individuals you're speaking of. They were pretty hot at, at, at ringside there at one point. Um, they definitely wanted to get at you. But uh, I, yeah, so has Georgia Wrestling seen the last of Stephen Platinum? Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> um, you know what's funny is, you know, and everybody's assuming like, oh no, he'll be no. I'm really done. Like if I show up, I, I told Hankins, I would be more inclined to like show up at Peach State just to hang out and see a show more than I would to work a show. Um, at the very least, I said the soonest I would ever come back to even see a PCW show would be maybe July 4th. And that's to literally sit sit my ass down next to Shane Mackey, like a couple of old war veterans. <laughs> Just like, oh, isn't this cool? And having no input on the show whatsoever. Um, Hankins told me some plans that he has, and all of them are like ba- basically breaking commandments of my booking. And I absolutely love it. I think it's the right way to go. Uh, I, to clearly define this is not Steve's anymore, that this is something very different. And I mean, part of it might crash and burn and whatnot, but PCW's intent is not to be my vehicle. 
um, at this stage of the game, it's really just doing a great wrestling show the way that I would love it to be done, but not necessarily exactly how I would do it. So I'm curious to see how it evolves, but no, I'm not going to like show up as a mystery, anything. Uh, I do have fantasies to be real um, of playing this masked character that's covered from head to toe and then just getting booked on promotions and never saying who I am (laughs) and literally showing up at at the show and then wrestling and then leaving and nobody ever knowing who I am except for maybe the promoter. And just like, oh, we got this guy. He's kind of nuts. And then I just walk in and gimmick and never say anything to anybody, wrestle my freaking match, and then leave. Uh, that sounds incredibly fun to me. But beyond that, no, I'm not going to – I don't have any say in PCW anymore. And that seems really weird, but it's just kind of how I wanted to do it. I thought I owed Hankins that as well to really give him a shot and making PCW into something not just different, but something better. Uh, than it would be with me showing up once a month and booking by phone. I think that's silly. So, I, I mean, and Keith State, again, is one of those promotions that I just go, my God, think of, I mean, Larry, think of that, you know, when Shane is saying, yeah, we didn't want to do the same stuff that we did six months ago. I mean, a few years ago, that was Peach State, where every show was like the one before it with the same cast. Of, and I'm talking like way back. I'm talking like Mike Jackson era, right? But now Peach State is one of those shows that does do things differently. And you can't, you can, there's a difference between one show to the next and one part of the year to the next. And it's really great to see. I know that wasn't easy to do. Um, financially, creatively, educating the audience and all that stuff. But Peach State's done all of that and come out of the other side. And I think I think wrestling in Georgia overall is better for it, actually. Yeah, I mean, you gave me a good idea if you uh, – go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, one of the things that keeps me coming back to Peach State is that each show is a distinct – experience and in, 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 a, in a show unto itself as you, as you're saying Steve and I like and it's from beginning to end it's a it's a cohesive you know uh, uh, piece of work that's put together so I you know I really appreciate that but go ahead go ahead Shane I was just going to say Steve gave me an idea and I'm, I know how I feel when people pitch ideas to me so you can tell me to screw off Steve but when you mentioned that about coming back and just working different promotions and not telling anyone. It reminds me of one of my favorite actors, Bill Murray. One of the stories where he just <laughs> walks up to a guy at a Burger King, sits down, grabs a bite of his burger, grabs his French fries, looks him dead in the eye and says, they'll never fucking believe you. You should do that when you take the mask <laughs> off in the locker room and just walk away. <laughs> um, Larry, I have a question while we've still got Shane on the line. Yeah. Um, with, uh, you know, it's always been said that as the WWE goes, so goes wrestling as a whole. Now, it's no secret that the WWE is sort of hurting in a few different ways. Yet, I think the promotions that are running strong, now we're not talking numbers because I think 200 has become the new 400. Um, in many ways, I think that's true. I, th- I think the days of shows consistently drawing 350 or 400 for the more prominent promotions are gone, at least for the foreseeable future. But I think in terms of like show quality and stuff like that, and, and in terms of having an audience that is passionate about 
the promotion. I think Peach State's got it all day. And um, Larry, what is your take? Is with the WWE sort of faltering? What? How does that affect Peach State's audience? Because you've gotten to see the differences between Peach State audiences, or how they're the same now for a few years. Where do you think wrestling wrestling fans are going to go as far as Peach State goes? What's the makeup of their audience from what you see? Well, I mean, be curious to know what Shane thinks, but I don't. To me, their audience is the same makeup it's been over the years. I don't see a whole lot of difference. There's not a lot of. Um, I see a lot of this the this the same regulars there. They certainly don't get many of the smart mark crowd coming to Carrollton. A few here and there, but not not very many. So it seems like that uh, Shane's got a real consistent uh, fan base for his shows. Um, you know, maybe as you said, not as many as there were at one point, and, and nobody seems to have as many as they did at earlier points. I guess that's just the way things are going these days. Shane, how do you see your audience? Um, are there different with this re-education that happened? Has it been a matter of introducing the old fans to how you guys do things now and them accepting it, or has this sort of change in style brought in different kinds of wrestling fans? I think I don't know. I can't speak for every promotion, but I know for Peach State personally, I think we have those thirty to forty swing fans that are going to go wherever they feel is best that given Saturday, whether it be something UIW is doing or PCW mm. or why we wrestle or Southern pride, that 30 to 40 that really keep up with Georgia wrestling history, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatnot. And, you know, they go for the best show. Uh, now I'd say Peach State has a core base of around 150 to 200. Uh, that would be there if, if I were wrestling Kristen Michaels in the main event, they just love Peach State's <laughs> brand. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think that's a good thing to have. And, you know, this may sound stupid for a promoter to say this. Back in 2011, 2012, we were drawing consistently 300 fans. Uh, yeah. I think there was a point in time in 2011 where we had nine straight months. We weren't under 300. And that's great to keep it going. But I really feel now uh, we've only had one show this year under 200. And I totally agree with you, 200 the new 400 as far as the standard. We've only had one show under 200 people. We've been somewhere in that 200 to 250 range all year. Uh, and I feel that's better as far as the quality of the product they're getting. I think that's better for sustained growth. Like even though we were at uh, 300 to 350 in those 2000, 2000, 2011, excuse me, 2012 years, we didn't have a whole lot of competition around the West Georgia area or certainly within driving distance for a lot of people. So it really wasn't going, I thought, sustained success. Once they got a taste of a better product, they dropped us in a heartbeat, and rightfully so. And, you know, the change was made, and now it's like the crowds may not be what they were because, goodness, there's wrestling around every corner where I live. I mean, you could throw a stone and hit some shitbird promotion that's going to start up this Saturday. <laughs> but I think it's better for the people. To, and uh, just speaking seriously, like, there are yeah. fans that haven't been in maybe a year or two, and they reach out to me, and like, are you guys still having wrestling in Carrollton or whatnot? And they come, and those are the ones I'm curious to get their feedback because that was a portion of your question. And mm-hmm. I got to knock on wood and say it's been about 99% completely positive. They're like, oh, my gosh, the way you do things now, you know, uh, as far as, like, you know, they don't know insider terms, but as far as, like, storylines and payoffs to angles and 
better match quality and better workers, and it's harder to tell who's going to win this match. There's not a whole lot of jobbers floating around Peach State or whatnot. They think it's a better overall product, and they get rehooked. You know, because for various reasons, people with jobs or families, they leave town, they move back, whatnot, they get started back up with Peach State, and they like what they see. And to me, I, I think that's great because if you were part of the old uh, rain that was coming in and you hadn't been in a while, I think it is pretty much a breath of fresh air uh, at Peach State. Yeah. I think, you know, with uh, it, I, I can't wait. I, I, told, I said at the beginning of the year, I can't wait to see where wrestling goes in the state of Georgia because I, I just had this feeling that things were going to just shake out, right? That promotions that were sort of pretenders would just kind of fall by the wayside. And, and promotions that were making bad decisions would finally pay the price, UIW. But then the promotions that I thought, either righted the ship or figured things out or just were the most consistent and well run, it would pan out. You know, Hankins, this is when I knew absolutely that Hankins is the right guy is after sacred ground last year, which was a much bigger whoop-de-doo in the sense that we actually brought people in. Um, You know, we did the show at the old Avondale location and then did the afternoon show at, a Porterdale and bust people in. It was crazy. It was this big brouhaha. But at the end of the day, we had 125. And Hankins went, and, and you know, and Hankins and I had a discussion. I'm like, what'd you learn? And he goes, I learned that we're a 125 show. And he goes, so I'm like, so what's the goal? And he goes, next year, I want to get to 200 and I want to do it with a much smaller payroll. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. So yeah. I went, and I go, cool, what's the goal next year? He goes, same venue, 300. He goes, I think it can be done. I'm like, I think so too. I think now that people have seen that venue and they know that PCW is in perfect hands. Um, but, you know, for us, it's weird. PCW is just a really weird entity where that main event building, we're going to get 50 to 70. That's just the way it is. And then, you know, but the sacred ground is our true measuring stick of where are we at as a promotion. And uh, so I'm curious to see if Hankins can meet that goal. I think Peach State meets its goals. I don't know, and this is a problem that I would have with most promotions. I don't think other promotions have goals, or they have goals that are so bonkers that they don't even merit discussion. Um, You know, uh, I hope groups like why we wrestle can get it together. I mean, I remember hearing at one point when the owner who's there took over kind of bragging long and loud. Oh, if I get 50 paid, then I'm, then I'm breaking even or making money. And I knew that that was ridiculous. Right. And it's funny because you got to be careful what you wish for in this wrestling thing, as Shane will attest, as Larry will attest, because wherever you sort of set your sight is often where you're going to go good or bad. And, um, you know, I I think UIW at one point had aspirations to be the biggest drawing and we're doing shows in the more, most places and all this kind of stuff. And I think that came at a really heavy cost, a really heavy cost. And, uh, I think Peach State's in a good spot. Um, I mean, clearly they, you know, they're drawing a consistent amount and I think like Southern fried could get there but they just got to figure out what they want to be. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but like, I just wonder, like, is that going to hurt them that they always seem very aspirational, 
but then I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that identity is exactly. I, I think it will be interesting to see uh, how it shakes out with uh, Todd Sexton coming into book Southern Fried. Now I know when they run this Saturday, this show was you know basically put together before Todd came on board. But I'm very curious to see that what what comes out of that with him coming into book at uh, Southern Fried. And, of course, then we have um, Atlanta Underground Wrestling hoping to get to uh, double digits at the at the box office. Uh, if, if, if they dare run again, we shall see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shane, before we before we uh, end the show, I, I just want you to put it out there. Um one, uh, obviously, please tell us when the next Peach State shows are and big things you guys got coming up. Uh, but more than that, um, what's some, um, I guess, you know, as we go to the year-end awards, and again, I, I know, you know, people feel different ways about them. To me, it means a lot because it's your peers, it's the people who are around who do the voting. Uh, I just is there is there anything you want people to have in their mind um, as they're thinking about those awards um, as far as you know maybe a maybe a guy who you think is a little underrated or a little underserved um, who deserves recognition or anything else I guess you want to say well I think the criteria I would say is make sure that you focus your voting on the criteria for 2016. Don't look at 2015, 14, 13, 12, and don't try to pay back someone that you felt was deserving in 2015. And even though they may not be deserving in 2016, uh, we're going to give Agreed. them that award. Because you see that across the board, I think, personally, like in baseball, basketball, football, someone is deserving of an MVP or a coach of the year. Well, they really should have got it last year. Let's give it to them this year when they're clearly yes. not a clear-cut choice. Um so that would be my advice for criteria, based it on January 1st, 2016, until the year-end awards end for this straight calendar year uh, for that. As far as what Peach State's got coming up, uh, this is something I concede, and I'm going to get the boo birds from both of you because I know your feelings on Battle Royals and Rumbles especially. <laughs> um, Peach State always runs an annual show, Christmas Chaos, the Saturday after Christmas. Well, damn it, wouldn't you know, the calendar falls this year. Christmas is on a Sunday, Christmas Eve on a Saturday, so there is no Saturday after Christmas. So we're actually going to run December the 10th, still only do one show in the month of December. But what I was speaking of with the roster side is we're actually going to do, we don't have a name for it yet, you know, Peach State, Peach State will bore the cup or the Invitational, the Steel from Scenic City Invitational, but basically a 30-man rumble, Royal Rumble style for the Heritage title because I feel like we really wouldn't have a lot of guys in the Rumble itself that would be looked at as lower tier because so many people over the last year and a half at Pitch State have either been in title positions, big-time programs, or main event feuds that you could have talent believable spread across the board because that's one of my yes. things with any Royal Rumble or Battle Royal is like, okay, just get me to the finish because I, need, I know it's going to be either this guy or that guy that wins it. And I think we can really – present a good concept where you might be able to say, you know, there's a half dozen to maybe ten guys in here that I think have a bit of a shot. Now, to spice up the card, certainly try to do some uh, matches with guys that are involved that night, do a thing where a singles match, uh, the guy who wins is in the Rumble, the guy who loses is not. Uh, do another match where the winner draws the 30th position and the loser starts number one. Uh, so I think there's some things underneath to make that Rumble mm. 
seem like a big deal as far as like how you get into it and where you're strategically placed. And also with that being the year end show, December 10th, it really lays the groundwork and a lot of work for good old Ricky, Rick Michaels to understand that we're going to be basically uh, foreshadowing, laying out programs to start the calendar year 2017 based off this one night. Yeah. Oh, that's that's December 10th. December 10th. I might have, I might have to show for that some bitch. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds, he just talked me in the building. He just pulled yeah. his feet. Thank you. Well, um, kudos to Rick. I'll pull back the curtain. You know, he's went to Charles. He's went to Dan and a couple of the promotions and found out when they're planning on running in December. And we're like, you know, normally we run first and third of the month, but we'll let you have the third if you let us have the tenth because our goal, and I know this may may not happen, but our goal is to acquire as much talent, as many big games as possible from across the board, from PCW, Why We Wrestle, Southern Pride, the own Peach State roster, maybe some guys from outside interest that are known to true hardcore wrestling fans, and to use your terminology, Steve, to really beef that some bitch up to where it looks like such (laughs) a star-studded, loaded deal, you can't miss Nice. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, Larry, where are you going to be this weekend? I believe I'll be venturing back out to uh, Peach State, actually, because Peach State is running this Saturday, and so that's probably where I'm going to be. Uh, awesome. It's Tommy Tommy Too Much and A.J. Steele, and uh, if I'm reading this right, uh, Shane, this is it. Somebody, somebody leaves P- PWA after this. Yeah, and the thing that I like about this match is over the course of time, you see a loser leaves town where someone pulls the Old West Sheriff. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. If I win, you're gone. Both Tommy Too Much and A.J. Steele said in their promos September 17th, if I don't walk out of here the champion, I'm gone. Neither one made the declaration that you have to leave. They both said, I'll leave if I don't walk out of here the Heritage champion. So I hope that's a little bit fresh take on kind of a loser leaves town type deal. Yes, absolutely. Um, and PCW won't have a show. Uh, we figured out that doing a show immediately after Sacred Ground was suicide. So um, we're not doing a show October 1st, but we return on the 15th with a traditional celebration for the new champion. So Gunnar Miller and Jeff will be there being uh, incredibly disgusting, I'm sure. And then uh, Johnny Danger has an announcement that we can probably guess what that is. And uh, and then the main event is Shane Marks against Slim J um, in a rematch from Sacred Ground that ended inconclusively. So that's what's going on on the 15th of PCW. Uh, Shane Knowles, thank you so much for coming in and being an awesome... I was so happy when Larry said, oh, I got Shane Knowles. And I'm like, that guy... It's just a good dude to talk to, and he knows his wrestling, and uh, he's good radio. So thank you so much, Shane, for being on. Thank you guys for having me, and I have two more quick points. One more shameless yes. plug for October the 1st. Corey Hollis versus Slim J in singles. It's not the main event, but it damn well could be at any other show we pro- promote in the year. Uh, definitely looking forward to Corey Hollis Slim J. And uh, my parting thoughts, when I came on the show, I heard you guys talking about TNA with Corgan and whatnot. Uh, he's got Jimmy Chamberlain back. If he gets Darcy back in the Smashing Pumpkins, then he can worry about what the hell's going on with TNA wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> the world uh, is a vampire. Any closing <laughs> thoughts, Larry? <laughs> oh, before uh, we do have some uh, upcoming stuff for Tipping Point two weeks from the mm. night on the 11th. We will have a 
representative of Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment to talk about their October 23 first battle of New Atlanta. I don't know if that's going to be somebody from the company or somebody who's going to be appearing on the show. I also have hmm. to have somebody talking uh, about why we wrestled Fright Night show. So that's that's what we have in store two weeks from tonight on Tipping Point. Look who's booking. Larry, don't try to win that damn award. Look at you. <laughs> booking. All right, well, thank you to Shane Knowles. Thank you to Larry Goodman. And I'm Stephen Platinum. Um, next week we'll have three the hard way, and in two weeks we will be back with another episode of The Tipping Points. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.